The um, reading uh, tonight is from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Darkness, light, the dawn. For to us a child is born. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He shall establish and uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Well, it is indeed wonderful to be here this evening, and it is wonderful to uh, be speaking on this amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, This is one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible, and it's one of my favorite seasons of the Christian calendar. Um, So uh, there's lots of good reasons to be uh, here today speaking on this. I'm going to be unpacking a few different themes in the passage, including darkness and light. Uh, You might have seen some lights flashing. (laughs) I believe we're trying to sort that out, but that might just add to the dramatic effect, okay? So let's let's just roll, roll with it. These words in Isaiah are timeless words. They were written many thousands of years ago to a people who are very different than us. But yet, these words have deep meaning, they have relevance, and they have significance to us here in Edinburgh in the 21st century. Before delving into this passage and exploring some of these words, I have a question for you to start with. And that question is, what is the best gift that you have ever received? So we're entering into Christmas. There was snow on the ground today. I went to the Christmas market. It's the first Sunday of Advent. 
Therefore, I imagine the organized among us will have all your Christmas presents bought already and all wrapped and set aside. Um, the less organized among us, myself very much included in that, are probably beginning to think, you know, what, what could be a good gift for different people? So what's the best gift that you've ever received? Um, I kind of struggle with this question because on the one hand, um, I love giving and receiving gifts. But on the other hand, my head is like a sieve and I keep forgetting, you know, what did I actually get given and who was it that gave it to me? Um, so to make answering this question a bit easier for me, um, I'm going to think back just over the last couple of years. Uh, and undoubtedly, hands down, the best gift that I have received in the last couple of years has been my fire pit. And yes, uh, we joined probably about half of the UK population to buy a fire pit, a patio heater, or a chimney, or whatever you want to call it, uh, over lockdown. Um, but it was an amazing uh, gift and really developed into something that was really meaningful for me uh, over this past season. And one of the reasons why it was meaningful for me is that it, it enabled us to gather with people again. Um, even if it was just one household, we were able to have them round to the garden and share a drink with them and share fellowship, conversation, community, and warmth with them. Another reason why this fire pit was significant to me is that the symbolism of it took more kind of significance for me than maybe it had otherwise. Um, I got it in September, so a year past September, so as we were entering into the winter months. And as the darkness of the winter months descend, um, it is, there's something powerful about filling the darkness with light. And the darkness of the season that we've just gone through for 18 months, almost two years, being able to fill that with a bit of light was really important for me. At the uh, similar time to receiving that gift, um, I listened to a podcast, um, and this is one of like, my guilty pleasures. I listened to, to uh, Scotland Outdoors, which probably is target audience is about 50, 60 demographic. I'm seeing a few nods from that demographic. Um, and, and I... And I very faithfully listened to this podcast. And this particular one was about darkness. Uh, so it sounds a bit cheery, doesn't it? But it was, it was pretty good, actually. Um, and one of the features on this podcast that stood out was a feature on the Shetland Islands. Um, and I don't know who in the room has been to Shetland. A show of hands for who's been to Shetland before. We've got a few. Anyone from Shetland in the room? No. Good. Well, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> offend anyone <laughs> with what I'm about to say if it's wrong. Um, but the feature in the podcast picked up on fire festivals. Uh, and probably the most famous one that you can think of is Up Helia, where the Vikings parade through uh, Lerwick, and then it concludes with the burning of a Viking longboat. So that I was already familiar with, but what I wasn't familiar with was that every village in Shetland has their own fire festivals. And part of the reason why they do that 
is because Shetland is over 300 miles further north uh, than Edinburgh. So it's really far north, and you think it gets dark here early. It gets really dark uh, really early uh, up in Shetland. And they do these fire festivals again in order to fill the darkness of the season with light. Um, I absolutely love this picture behind me. It's by an illustrator in Glasgow called David Fleck. And I would recommend you check out his work. This is one of his current um, Christmas prints that he's producing. And he very kindly allowed me to show it today because it tied in with what I wanted to share. But yes, I hope that kind of introduces us a little bit to the theme of light and darkness. Um, I'd love to spend some, the rest of our time this evening uh, considering just some of the words that, um, as was mentioned before the reading, these really familiar words, but some of the words, um, in the hope that it will help us enter into this Advent season and consider the gift that was promised in this passage in Isaiah. So the first word, unsurprisingly, is darkness. You don't need to look very far in the world to see darkness and to see its effects. It can emerge in many different ways and in many different forms. It can be perhaps a a personal challenge that you or your family are having to navigate right now a relationship difficulty, a loss of a job, the illness or perhaps the death of a loved one. This darkness can emerge perhaps in the the effects of the pandemic that we've just lived through for almost two years. Or perhaps it can emerge when you turn on the news and you see yet another horrendous story on the news of an injustice that has happened either in our country or around the world. All of these things, whether caused by us or caused by something we can feel completely helpless to do anything about, can lead us to feel like we're living and walking in the dark. We might ask the question, how can God's light break into that situation? Or maybe can God's light break into that situation at all? As I mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation with Libby, I have the privilege of working for IJM and, and have done for a number of years. But through my work, I have heard stories and I've met people who are living and walking in some of the darkest situations that you can imagine. One of the things that I have become passionate about and that I shared a little bit about in our conversation is seeing an end to modern day slavery. Um, In our world today, it's estimated that 40.3 million people live in slavery, which is shocking and is more than any other point of time in history. About one in four of that number are children who are held in slavery. And to to frame it in a slightly different way, in the time that we'll be in church this evening, it's estimated that another 180 children will be sold into slavery. 
Just imagine that for a moment. Uh, These children are brothers and sisters. They are cousins. They are nieces, nephews, sons, daughters, and grandchildren who are sold and who disappear like that. These are children who are sold into brick kilns, into grimy apartments, and onto fishing boats. But we know that that is not what they're made for. They are made uh, for freedom. They should be in school. They should be in families. They should be playing with their friends. Just over two years ago, Libby and I had the huge privilege to travel to see IJM's work in South Asia. And that is the work that P's and G's have been supporting for many years. So it was a real privilege for me and and for Libby to to see that work. And and my my colleagues uh, in that part of the world are inspirational people. They are complete inspiration, totally amazing. And they have a vision to mortally wound the giant of slavery so that ultimately it can come to an end. Today, I want to introduce you to Surya, who incidentally, uh, this morning, someone came up to me afterwards and said, do you know what the word Surya means? And the word Surya means sun. It means as in the sun coming up in the sky, which will find its significance a little bit later. But Surya was a hopeful boy who lived with his family and loved uh, to go to school. Like most Indians that I've ever met, he absolutely adored cricket, and he loved to dream. Uh, Nothing fell out of reach at all for Surya. But then everything changed in an instant. Uh, A cyclone descended on the village uh, that Surya and his family were living in. And this cyclone led not only to his house being destroyed, but it actually led to his father passing away. And his father was the main breadwinner for the family, so this left their family and Surya's mum pretty desperate. And another tragedy happened to Surya. Um, a neighboring farmer saw Surya and saw his family, and instead of offering to help, uh, decided to take advantage of them and sold a lie to Surya's mum, saying, how about Surya come and work as a goat farmer in my farm, and I'll give you uh, some money that you can use to pay for medical expenses for funeral costs. So that's what happened, and the tragedy is, you know, in in that situation in South Asia, you're never able to repay the debt because uh, excessive interest rates are placed on that loan. So here was Surya, enslaved with no hope. Can you imagine being 10 years old and having everything taken from you overnight and being forced into a cycle of never-ending labor with no sign of it ever ending? Surya's situation, and actually many situations around the world are so dark 
that the light of dawn seems very far away. The second word that we're going to consider uh, this evening uh, is the polar opposite to darkness, and that is light. One of the chief lies that the devil tells us when we're going through darkness, when we're going through difficult times, is that the sun will never rise again. You're stuck in that situation forever. There's no getting out of it. And to a certain extent, over this last 18 months, two years, I felt something of that. Uh, and even like seeing the news today, I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. Like, but, you know, that is the devil saying, like, you're stuck in that place. You can't do anything good. You're not, there's no need, there's, you know, no way of hope. But actually, that is a lie, and it is a, it's a powerful lie. And yes, the, the world is dark and we see bad things happening in the world. But in this passage in Isaiah, we have an amazing promise. We have a promise of a gift uh, that will be given, has been given, and will be given. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. God's response to the darkness in our world, the situations that we face, humanity's legacy of injustice, is the person of Jesus. For to us, a child is born. And how crazy is that, by the way, <laughs> that the God's solution is to be found in a helpless baby? Um, I have two kids, and they're not wee babies anymore, but in preparing for today, I was thinking back to that, and they are so helpless, and they're so needy, but yet this baby was the gift that was promised. Uh, this baby was the person of Jesus who, you know, as we've sung and as we've um, reflected on with the candle, is the light of the world. And the light of Jesus can pierce the darkest situations that we are facing in our lives and in our world and can bring hope. Situations you're navigating, the global pandemic that's still raging in different parts of the world, the great injustices faced by many in our world. The light is the wonderful counselor who can draw near to you when you need support. The light is the mighty God who came to this earth as a baby and left it as the savior to all. The light is the everlasting father who is ever faithful and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the light is the prince of peace who has begun to usher in his kingdom of justice and righteousness and will continue to do that through us, through his church, until he returns. The final words I want to consider this evening are the words justice and righteousness. And uh, this theme is going to be unpacked a little bit uh, more next week. So this is a little maybe preview of that. 
But in verse 7, we read uh, that Jesus, the gift who was promised, will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus's kingdom is to be marked by justice and righteousness. Jesus stepped into the darkness of our world in order to bring light, in order to bring justice, in order to bring restoration, in order to bring healing, in order to bring a correction of relationships that we have with him, with each other, and with our world. And in doing this, he demonstrated his people to an upside-down way of living. A radical way of life whereby we recognize our reliance upon him and where we seek to usher in his kingdom of justice and righteousness so that those living in darkness, like Surya, like others in our world, might see Jesus, the light of the world. IJM exists as an organization in order to bring the gift that was promised, the light of Jesus, into some of the darkest situations in our world. Saria's story didn't end where I left it a few moments ago. A partner organization of IJM in, in South Asia, who we fully funded and fully trained, uh, worked with the local police uh, to find Saria and to rescue him. Saria was brought home safely back into the arms of his mother. Uh, who her first act was to give him a huge hug and a huge kiss. IJM then took on the case against the farmer who enslaved Surya in the first place, and, and he was arrested and he was made to pay compensation to Surya and to his family to enable them to access the support they needed to rebuild their lives. Today, Surya is back in school. Uh, he is back playing cricket, and he is back dreaming again. Darkness, light, justice, and righteousness. If we are willing, I believe that the church, you and me, have a unique role to play in coming alongside the darkness that we see in the world. And we have a unique role because we carry the light of the world uh, with us into these situations. And for some of us, that just seems an overwhelming thought right now. So I invite you to focus on this candle, and I, I, um, I invite you to acknowledge that Jesus is the light of the world who can bring light to the darkness that you're facing. For others of us, I encourage you to take the light of Jesus into the situations in your communities, into your neighborhoods, into the world, in order to demonstrate that people are loved, that people aren't living in darkness for the rest of their lives, but can experience the light. I wonder if we could close um, our time uh, with a prayer. Um, and I would love us all to pray it, 
Um, so I'd love us all, if you're able, to stand. Um, this is a prayer that um, churches across the UK are praying uh, in solidarity with Syria and in solidarity with IJM and the work that we do. Um, I'm going to stand over here because I was struggling to see that one earlier. Um, let's pray. Uh, if you all say the words in bold. Father God, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus, we think of the millions of daughters and sons like Surya who need freedom this Christmas. Be close to those who are scared and alone. Father, bring comfort and hope to those who are trafficked and in slavery. God of justice, bring your freedom. We pray for IJM's investigators and partners as they work to find where children are hidden. Shine a light in the darkness and direct their steps so that release and rescue would come. God of justice, bring your freedom. Jesus, you came to give life and life to the full. We pray for survivors of trafficking all around the world. May they know freedom in body, mind, and spirit. Thank you for individuals like Surya, who are sharing their stories and leading others to find new strength. God of justice, bring your freedom. And finally, God, send your spirit powerfully across the church, moving hearts to seek justice. Help us to be people of generosity and prayer as we remember those who are still in slavery. Show us each the part that we can play in bringing freedom this Christmas. God of justice, bring your freedom until all are free. Amen. <laughs>